Welcome to Am I Famous Yet? Memoir of a Working Class Rockstar, where I explore the trials and tribulations of being a full-time freelance professional musician in this crazy business we call show. My name is Ivan Funkboy Bodley, and I'll be your host, endeavoring to entertain you with my tales from the road, because sometimes you have to laugh to keep from crying. Am I Famous Yet? is available as a podcast wherever you get fine podcasts, a YouTube series, and even as an actual book in hardcover, softcover, and Kindle editions on Amazon. Links for all of these, including my social media, can be found at my website, www.funkboy.net, F-U-N-K-B-O-Y.net. If you like what you're hearing, please rate and review it, as these things really do help other people find the show. So grab your bass, tune up, and let's hit the road. Hey, it's Ivan. Welcome to Playing for a Living, Ruminations from the Road During the Week That Just Was. As I mentioned last time, and I won't go into that rant again, check out the last episode if you need to hear it, we found out Sunday that one of our unvaccinated band members from Saturday night tested positive for COVID. This sent everyone into red alert mode, testing, masking, social distancing, self-quarantining, etc. It was not a fun week. Besides the fact that I was forced to socially isolate myself from my partner and mask myself full-time in our own house, and besides the fact that I spent five nights trying to sleep on a two-seater couch, I'm six foot five, do the math, and besides the fact that I now had to find a local testing site that promised less than a 90-minute wait to be swabbed and three to five days before receiving the results, besides all that, the week sucked. My lovely partner, Julie, was opening on Broadway on Friday as the new music director of a huge budget musical with a weekly operating payroll probably north of the entire amount of working income I'll have ever earned in my whole life. If I tested positive for COVID, I could be out thousands of dollars worth of work. If she tested positive, an entire production with 400 paychecks could potentially shut down. It was an extremely not good situation. The stress of not knowing our status during the week was palpable. We even considered a temporary separation in the interest of quarantine, though we ultimately decided against that with neither of us having anywhere easy to go nor really knowing what our exposure had actually been. We were scared, not so much of the disease since we had both already survived it and both been fully vaccinated, but because of what a breakthrough case could have potentially done to her career. We've both been working and traveling. We're taking precautions and following all of the rules. And even still, it felt like we were having a close call. Even with the fear of contagion, I decided ethically that I was going to act as if I was negative until such time as I might or might not test positive. Like I said, I'm fully vaxxed and following all the rules. I would take extra precautions and that I would not ever be unmasked in public nor be closer than six feet to anyone until I knew my status for certain. I further added into this calculus the nature of my gig on Tuesday. It was a freedom-loving crowd assembled for a high-dollar fundraiser for some charity or other, complete with premium live auction, etc. We've played many such events in the past. The thing that made this one unique was that it was called a celebrity shootout. There was even a line in the script that day that called it Disney World with Guns. As such, the setting was a large tent erected on some rural farmland in Rhode Island adjacent to a target shooting range and a pheasant and skeet shooting course. We set up our gear immediately behind the target range amidst a hailstorm of light arms fire, averaging probably around two rounds per second. 
There was intermittent shotgun fire out in the woods and very occasional cannon explosions. I wasn't able to determine where the cannon was, though one possible explanation became evident when I first drove onto the property. As I came around a corner on the dirt entrance road, I found myself face-to-face with a Sherman tank headed directly for me. Some quick internal mathematics assured me that a Hyundai sedan is no match for an armored vehicle boasting a 75mm gun as a hood ornament. I decided to pull over and let it pass. Apparently, tank rides were one of the perks offered to the wealthy donors. Our gig sheet assured us that there would be, quote, B-list celebrities in attendance. There were. Furthermore, the program promised they would be auctioning off some, quote, badass guns, end quote, to help kids in need. And by this, they seemed to mean summer camp attendees. It was a little nebulous. In the full interest of safety, Cocktails were not served until the guns were put away, which is also when the music started. So other than setting up in the middle of what literally sounded like a war zone, the gig was fairly standard as far as those events go. I made it home that night without any collateral damage. On Wednesday, I was finally able to find a place to administer my first COVID test of the week. It turns out that there's a clinic not far from my house that seems to specialize in vitamin IVs or something that vaguely falls under the umbrella of so-called wellness Under normal circumstances, it looks like the kind of place to go get a bag of saline solution after a vicious weekend of partying, or perhaps running a marathon on the height of summer. Beyond that, I was unsure what services they typically offer. Suffice to say that during pandemic times, they seem to be making a mint off of the federal government one nickel at a time by administering walk-in COVID tests. Since I was in need of that specific service, I happily walked in. Once swabbed and while awaiting my rapid results, I witnessed my favorite human interaction of the week. They put me into an exam room where another patient was similarly waiting for his results. We were both masked and more than six feet apart, but still in a smallish room. Because I had no symptoms and had given them no indication why I was seeking the test, apparently the physician on call was compelled to examine me and ask a bunch of pointed questions. She wanted to know if I had any cough, fever, diarrhea, allergies, etc., the usual queries in that situation. When I answered negatively, she asked me why I wanted the test. Sensing that a wrong answer here could land me in some database that might result in robocalls from the New York Sheriff's Office, As I have experienced in recent months, I said something vague about having been traveling and just wanting to know my status. As soon as the word travel popped out of my mouth, the other patient due to the room started complaining loudly. Oh, great. You put me in a room with somebody who's been traveling and I have a one-year-old baby at home? The Russian doctor lady looked him full in the face as he's whining about his perceived injustice. She's listening to him and letting him know that she is. Upon completion of his mewling, whiny sentence, she says absolutely nothing to him, turns back to me without missing a beat, and continues her exam questions. It was an instant and total freeze-out of an entitled complainer. It was beautiful. I received my negative result verbally from the doctor in full earshot of whiny McWhinington. I took the piece of paper confirming same from them and went on about my day. Later that day, I got an oil change and a badly needed car wash. Why is this significant, you ask? Because it means I drove 5,000 miles in just two months since my last oil change. I've really put some miles on the car this summer. That's already about half of what I would drive in a normal non-pandemic year. Thursday, I was delighted to be able to attend the invited dress rehearsal at Moulin Rouge over to the Broadway. 
The invited dress rehearsal is typically the last performance before the official preview start with paid audiences. By that time in a show's development, everything is usually running as designed. Very occasionally, you might get to enjoy a technical glitch or a show stoppage at a dress rehearsal. There were none that night. It was a fantastic show. And I'm not at all biased by the fact that my lovely partner, Julie, is their new musical director. I would have liked the show anyway. I just like it extra now. Not only is she amazing at her job, it's also allowing her to keep me in the lifestyle to which I've grown accustomed. I led two weddings last weekend. Friday night was at another yacht club on Nantucket. I played for over four hours, took a short break, then played another hour set after that. It was one of those situations where I was playing a 90-minute cocktail hour in addition to the main four-hour reception. As the band leader, I have to be playing most or all of the time. Then there were some scheduling difficulties on top of that, throwing their timeline out the window. Wedding planner timelines are notoriously scheduled right down to the minute. They are also notoriously impossible to follow and get amended in real time at every single event. This particular gig was during a forecast lightning storm, so they wisely decided to move the dance party portion of the evening from the tent indoors, thereby destroying the original schedule. The keyboard player got it slightly worse than I did because he also played the ceremony that day. He went over five hours without a break. He received a well-deserved apology email from me the next day for the resulting marathon. Later in the gig that evening, for the first time in my career, the middle finger on my right hand started to seize up. Since using the index and middle fingers to pluck one's bass strings is standard playing technique, this cut my maximum playing tempo exactly in half. I've played sets that long many times in the past, but the borrowed amps I was playing through that night weren't in great condition. I was having to dig in harder than I usually do just to hear myself. This wasn't a problem until I got to the fifth consecutive hour of it. Plus, I was pretty dehydrated that day. When the cramping occurred, I was able to work around it, but it caused me more than a bit of consternation on the night. We took a charter flight off-island again after the gig. When we arrived at the airport, our pilot, George, was looking worriedly at his iPad. It turns out there was a long line of severe thunderstorms right offshore and right in between where we were and where we needed to be. His color weather radar app isn't the thing that you and I have on our phones. It's some kind of special pilot radar that has weather data for pretty much the entire globe. He showed me the clear skies over Europe and Alaska, for example, but just off Nantucket, we had a bit of a problem. His strategy was to wait out the storms, look for a lull in the action, and fly through the front to the other side where he could approach the airport in Barnstable from the reverse direction. It took about an hour and a half to wait for a window of opportunity, but that's exactly what he ended up doing. When we finally did take off, all visions of Buddy Holly and Richie Valens melted away with a very easy and undramatic flight back to the mainland. Because of my itinerary for the weekend, I had to drive all the way back to New York from Cape Cod after the flight. I got home at 6.30 a.m. after a couple of short naps in rest areas along I-95 in Connecticut. It didn't feel great, I can assure you. Once safely back in Queens, I slept a full three hours and had to get up to head out to Saturday night's gig down in Cape May, which is as far away from Queens as you can be and still be in the great state of New Jersey. It's a three-hour drive from New York and at least seven hours from Cape Cod with no traffic. P.S. There's always traffic. Round trip, I drove 880 miles this weekend on very little sleep from Thursday to Sunday. It was a marathon. 
At the beach club gig in Cape May, all was going well until 10 minutes before the end of the night. The groom came up to me and said they wanted a half hour of overtime and they would be willing to pay for it. He had said the magic words about payment, so I told the band there would be OT, a.k.a. overtime. Since we had already been playing a two-hour dance set, the drummer looked at me and said that he badly needed a break. I told him to take a break for one song and sat down at his drums to play the Four Non Blondes sing-along song, What's Up? As a professional bass player, my drumming is every bit as not great as you might think. But I got through a medium-tempo song. Then at about two minutes until the original scheduled ending time, the groom came back to me and said he spoke to the party planner and decided that they didn't want the overtime after all. We were to stick with the original schedule. The problem here was that they wanted the song Shout as their last song of the evening, which we had yet to play. We launched into it and probably finished it about five minutes after the hour. That's when the chants from the audience start to erupt. One more song. One more song. The groom came over to me and asked if there was indeed one more available. I explained to him that we were already over time because of the change of mind about the extra half hour. That was your one more, pal. He understood. A side note about that gig, it was in a big tent on the beach about 30 yards from the clubhouse. When our sound guy arrived in his pickup truck that was pulling a trailer containing all of the sound equipment, he decided to drive it down to the tent to unload the gear. When he got about 20 feet out of the parking lot and into the sand, the truck sank to its axles and refused to budge in either direction. He had to call a tow truck to get him out. The tow truck driver charged him $1,500 to drag the rig less than 10 yards. It was a bummer. I felt bad for the dude. On Sunday, I had to get yet another COVID test, both to assure myself that I was safe and also to be able to be admitted to the Tony Awards viewing party thrown by the company of Moulin Rouge that evening. Their cast and crew are tested every three days, so all invited guests needed to show proof of vaccination as well as a same-day negative test to be able to attend. What a fabulous night it was. Moulin Rouge won 10 Tonys that night, including Best Musical. The mood was ebullient and celebratory as it should have been. I even borrowed one of the orchestrator's surprisingly heavy statuettes for a joke photo op as if I was the one walking the red carpet. I figured that was as close as I was ever going to get to one of those, so I might as well take a picture. This is the Funk Boy, signing off.